Welcome to the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast, presented to you by Hedger University. If you've landed here, you're probably passionate about how horses help people. Whether you're an instructor, therapist, in the business, or have experienced equine assisted services yourself, we're glad you're here. Join us as we talk about the benefits, the science, to-dos, how-tos, and all of the reasons why what we do is so much more than just a pony ride. And now, from the Hetra campus in Gretna, Nebraska, here's your host, occupational therapist Katie King. Hey everyone! Today's episode was a much-needed topic to cover, I think. Catherine Smith, she is an OT and an instructor and our program manager at, here at Hetra, spoke with me today about the differences between adaptive writing slash therapeutic writing and our actual therapy services program, which would be like OT, PT, or speech. And she explained very well how we at Hetra use these programs separately, but also how they overlap and can relate to each other and work together too. I couldn't think of a better person to talk with on this topic because Catherine is one of the original folks who helped get Hetra off the ground and has really been here through all of our growing and building of different programs for us. She knows programming like the back of her hand, honestly, and she is an absolute wealth of knowledge. So look for her name again soon in future episodes. But until then, enjoy this one. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks for being here today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Good. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do for Hetra and a little bit about your background with our organization? Okay. Um, Well, I started with, with Hetra back in 1995 as a result of Edie helping me buy my first horse. And I just, we were working together. We're both occupational therapists. We were working together and I found out that she had horses and she helped me buy my first horse and she gave me lots of hours of help. Um, And I said to her, well, what can I do for you? Mm -hmm. After about a year of all those hours for her. So uh, she said, well, why don't you come out and help me with the Hetra kids? And I said, Hmm, I am really not a pediatric therapist. Now, this was in 1995. Mm-hmm. So she said, that's fine. You can come out and start as a, as a sidewalker and, and we'll go from there. You're a therapist. You'll know what, what we're doing. And I said, okay, I'll trust you on that. And, <laughs> and away we went. So, so, yes, we started out as you know just a very small group of us. And, and I learned a lot from her. As the program grew, then I... I got a barn and the program grew into my barn. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a few years ago, we moved into here. So when I was operating a barn, I was, you know, I did a lot of things in in addition to treating a number of participants myself and overseeing the, um, you know, the work that other people were doing in the barn um, and managing the horses and things like that. Uh, Now, luckily, we are... Uh, all under one roof. We've got special people to do all of those other functions. And and so I do, I still do some treatment, um, but I work with the, the other therapists and the instructors in terms of documentation and, you know, evaluations and deciding where, which programs people should go into. And now we're doing a lot of projects. So I'm involved in some of the project development and um, it's it's a very exciting time. We have we have grown a lot over the years. Yes, it sounds like it. Grown from buying your first horse to hosting Hetra at your house for a while, and now we're here. And we just can. It's amazing to me to hear the story of Hetra over the last you know thirty some years, to where we've grown from one participant to now we have 
programs and projects happening all over the place, like even this podcast. I mean, right. there's, I'm only, you know, one person doing this project. So you can imagine what everybody else has on their plate too. It's, it's really exciting. It is exciting. And I think because of COVID, mm-hmm. it has pushed us to do things that we've talked about for years mm-hmm. and just really didn't have the time because we were so busy with all the treatment. And, and so this has been, you know, it's been kind of a blessing mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. And I would say that it's definitely a silver lining from COVID for sure. I'm curious, Catherine, would you, what would you say to people that they may have the same kind of feelings that you guys did? You were so busy getting the, getting Hetra off the ground, getting Hetra going and the therapy services and adaptive writing and all the things that, you know, you typically think about when mm-hmm. you think about a barn such as ours, you know, all these extra projects and they, you have all these ideas, but you don't have the time to do it. What would you say to the people that, you know, feel like they don't have enough time or don't have enough, you know, energy or things to start doing some projects like this? Well, I think if they're working in a small organization, if they've got a small barn, um, I think that uh, it's it's more important to be focusing on the participants that you have and making sure that those things are are as good as they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I mean, we have a large staff. We have, what, 13 full-time people. Mm-hmm. So the work is divided amongst a lot of, of people. I think in 19 or in 2014, when we moved into this big barn, mm-hmm. we had, I believe, six full-time people. So in that short time, We've added people as things have grown. You know, when there's only three or four people to do the treatment and the horse management and the finances and the fundraising, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you can do that well, that's great. And wait until you are able to to add some staff. You know, the whole idea of having a development department mm-hmm. was just unheard of. Oh, well, I, I don't remember when we first started that, but it certainly was not at the beginning. Right. So it's, yeah. And, and to pick out one or two things that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I don't, I can't tell you how many projects are going right now. Um, I've looked at lists of projects that, and, and our, in our computer programming where we keep all of our information, mm-hmm. we have a projects tab and there are, oh, there's probably 15 to 20 yeah. projects listed right now. Yeah. It, it, it really takes a lot of people to do that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but but if for people that are just getting going, I think having a good foundation is and we we established a good foundation. And that's why we've been able to sustain our ourselves during the times when things got rough. 2008 was that uh, was kind of a scary time. There was a re, you know, financial recession and, you know, everybody was looking around. At, are we going are we going to get money from our donors? Right. You know, that aren't doing as well. And but people have seen how well, how, how effective what we do is. Mm -hmm. And so they're willing to support us through those times. Yeah. So having a good foundation is, is really the key, I think. Well, speaking of that firm, solid foundation, I am excited to talk to you a little bit today about two of, I would say, our foundational programs. And those are Therapy services, Mm -hmm. so PTOT, speech programming, as well as our adaptive writing or therapeutic writing program, Um, those two really have been really instrumental in our foundation, wouldn't you say? Right, right. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about 
Um, and I don't know, however you want to approach that, Catherine, but do you want to tell us a little bit about what therapy services looks like for HETRA, like what the staff and the programming actually looks like? Right. Um, and actually, I think we we need to establish right at the beginning, people say, well, for years and years, this has been called hippotherapy. Mm-hmm. And, and that I think that's a, a unique kind of catchy term because people perk up their ears and they say, what is that? And With then hippos? you get to say... <laughs> Uh, well, hippo is a Greek word for horse, and this all developed in, you know, originally in Europe, mm-hmm. and so we have still used that. However, it it does it it be, it becomes a little bit maybe misleading, or it becomes difficult for people to to think about in terms of the different disciplines that are participating. So we have physical therapists, occupational therapists, and speech therapists that can do therapy using the movement of the horse. Mm-hmm. And that is, when we say hippotherapy, it is using the movement of the horse as part of the treatment plan. Mm-hmm. For so, our therapists listening, it's more like hippotherapy is a mod- like a modality correct. you would use correct. in treatment. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's a lot to know about the horses mm-hmm. and how to use the horses and how the movement of the horse affects the participant. Mm-hmm. And and so, so we'll talk about that. But also then people always ask, so what's the difference between the the therapy services or hippotherapy and adaptive writing? And adaptive writing for years and years was called therapeutic writing. So please forgive me if I slip into that term, but (laughs) I do sometimes. Mm -hmm. So adaptive writing is, it's an equine assisted activity where people with disabilities can benefit from the movement of the horse through writing lessons, essentially. I mean, mm-hmm. they most of the people that we transition into adaptive writing or that come and we evaluate and we say, oh, yes, they're, that this person would be perfect for adaptive writing. And they don't need to go into the, the therapy services part. They will benefit. They're going to get all of the same work on their balance, their strength, coordination, taking turns, paying attention. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cognitive things that we can do with the horses. And sometimes we do groundwork and groundwork is grooming the horse where the person is not actually riding, mm-hmm. but is standing on the ground with the horse and, and doing something like leading grooming or, or leading. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or learning how horses, what they eat and, and how we feed. And I mean, there's just all kinds of things that that can be learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our participants oftentimes are very interested in, in those things just as well as the riding. This episode of the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast is sponsored in part by Equiforce. Equiforce is a database that allows you to track every facet of your organization, from horse, donor, and volunteer management, to scheduling, grant tracking, incident reports, and tracking participant progress, too. This is not a one-size-fits-all setup. Instead, Equiforce personally works with you to learn how your facility functions and takes note of your specific terminology so that they can create a unique system to match the needs of your organization. And of course, Equiforce provides an ongoing training and support so that your database can grow with you. Visit them at www.equiforce.com. That's E-Q-U-I-F-O-R-C-E.com. Hippotherapy or therapy services that is done on a one-to-one basis. So the therapist has one participant on a horse. They have 
anywhere from two to four helpers. So we've got a horse leader, always have a horse leader. Mm -hmm. We may have two sidewalkers or we may have one. Sometimes the therapist acts as the other sidewalker. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they only need one. And then oftentimes we, we have a, an instructor assistant. We use, when we do therapy using the horses, oftentimes we use toys or props or games to get additional muscle activity mm-hmm. or balance work or whatever it is. And, and, it's, and it helps to engage the participant if, they're, hmm, if they need to be doing something. Mm-hmm while they're riding in order to stay, you know, engaged with the therapist and, and the whole process. So, um, so there can be a number of people, but the therapist is in charge of that group. In adaptive riding, we have, at least in our program, we have two, sometimes three participants, and they are taught by one adaptive riding or therapeutic riding instructor. Mm-hmm. So the instructor is not necessarily a therapist. Now, most of our therapists are also uh, past certified instructors. Cross your fingers. Yes. Hopefully I will be you will <laughs> coming be. in I May. <laughs> nobody is even concerned. We are absolutely <laughs> sure you will do that. But so that, those are group, uh, a group sessions. Mm-hmm. We never have more than three, partly because of the size of our arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are very, very safety conscious. Uh, everything we do. And all the rules that we have established are because of, you know, some aspect of safety that we want to ensure. So we would never have more than than three riders in an adaptive riding session. And so all of the adaptive riding participants have some kind of disability. Correct. So, but that class doesn't have to be taught by a therapist. Rather, that instructor has had um, does continuing education and has been educated in that disability so that they can you know, adapt things and work with them in that way, correct? Right, right. And actually, when people come into our program, they are evaluated by a therapist. And so if someone is is not going into hippotherapy, is not going into therapy services, but rather is going to be right, you know, going right into adaptive writing, Mm -hmm. the therapist that's done the evaluation will be communicating with that instructor about the disability and we'll make recommendations as to the types of activities to do or not to do mm-hmm. with that person. And then the therapists are always available if the instructor uh, has questions or if the, or if the family has questions. Um, that is part of my role as program manager. Um, I am oftentimes more available, especially when the parents are here. Right. Um, when an instructor has a class of three participants, and they're dismounting at the end of the class. They dismount the first one. The first person gets off and, and goes out of the arena. They may hook up with their parents and off they go. Mm-hmm. And then the second one comes out and does the same thing. By the time the instructor is able to come out into the hallway, the parents have oftentimes the parents have already left. Right. So that was one of the hardest parts for me when I started to do more instructor training is after the session, as a therapist, I'm so used to coming out with just my one participant and I 
update the family on all the goals and how it's going, you know, mm-hmm. and all of that. And then when you're an instructor, you have, you know, two, sometimes three participants to manage. And so getting time to talk with all of those families is really, was really difficult for me to get yes. used to. Yes. So having someone like you that's there then could maybe chat with the family during the session, mm-hmm. um, you know, that kind of thing has been helpful for me. Yes. And, and I think it's been helpful and I don't do that all the time, mm-hmm. but especially if there's a question or, or when someone is transitioning from, from therapy services into adaptive writing, mm. oftentimes there's, there are questions. Um, it, it's interesting that some parents, it, it's not unusual, but to me it's very interesting that if they've had their, their family member in therapy services for quite a while, they very often get very attached to that therapist and then when the therapist is saying, well, really, you know, this young person is really ready for more writing and, and this is the better programming Mm -hmm. for them. Sometimes the parents are a little bit reluctant to let go of that therapist and go into a group situation. Mm -hmm. And so being able for me to be able to stand in the observation room, the parent observation room and, and watch them, and that way I can point out things like, you see, there are two sidewalkers. Mm-hmm. We're getting, we're still working on balance. We're still working on these things, but this is going to give this person, the rider, a, a lot more confidence. Mm-hmm. And challenge and yes. all that. So tell me a little bit about how or why, I guess, a participant would graduate or, you know, transition into adaptive writing from our therapy services? Well, our therapy services, the, the whole goal is to, is to work on whatever disability they come in mm-hmm. with. And oftentimes there are, there's weakness, there's balance loss. Uh, there may be, they may have a lot of trouble even just sitting up. But over time, that improves. Mm-hmm. And, and you'd be amazed at sometimes how fast that improves. Other times it takes a long time, but they keep making little gains and little gains. And pretty soon they are sitting without having a lot of help to sit up or their legs have stretched and relaxed and they can sit more normally in a real saddle. Mm -hmm. And, and they're interested in being able to get that horse to go where they want. Mm -hmm. And, so we look at what things they have to be able to do in order to be in a group setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things is that they need to be able to pay attention to someone who is in the middle of the arena as opposed to someone that's standing right next to them. Right. That was hard for me. Yes. <laughs> that was maybe the hardest thing when I started doing instructor training, too, was as a therapist, I'm so used to one on one. Sometimes I'm sidewalking with my participants even, exactly. you know, like I'm that close to them. And then when you start to do your instructorship that you want to teach from the center of the arena so that you can t- hear everybody and talk to everybody. And that was really hard for me. Yes. Yes. It's uh, that's hard for everybody. Mm-hmm. And and to s- position yourself so that you can continue to see all of your all of your participants most of the time. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you go off into a corner and stand with your back to the whole arena, you've got maybe at least one, maybe two other participants that are, you've, you know, you're responsible for them. Yeah. So, so then when want, our, 
when our participants make the jump from therapy services to adaptive writing, it's important that you can, because you do have to split your attention when you're in mm-hmm. adaptive writing, regardless if you're in the center of the arena or not. So right. those participants need to be able to have that focus and attention, mm-hmm. a little bit of like self-monitoring skills almost right. to to do what they need to do without you being right there. Right, yeah. right. And if there are things like they're, maybe they are somewhat hearing impaired, then then as an instructor, the instructor is going to make sure that the sidewalkers with that participant know that that may be a problem. So if the participant isn't hearing what the instructor is saying, that they can they know to cue that person. Yeah. So we use I think. Um, well, in, in both settings, in both the therapy services and the, the uh, adaptive writing, we can really get our, our sidewalkers, our volunteers involved um, in meaningful parts of the therapy. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an important de- delineation as well is when you're in, in therapy services, receiving hippotherapy, that you can keep more of a close eye on a lot of those things that are happening because it's one-on-one, but you can also provide for me as an OT or a physical therapist or speech, you can provide that skilled assist Mm -hmm. where, you know, maybe it's a postural assist. They need, you know, tactile cues or like if it's a speech therapist, maybe they need more, you know, cueing on, Mm -hmm. you know, their communication styles and that type of thing. Whereas when they go to adaptive writing, you can, you kind of can, coach this the sidewalkers mm-hmm. and not saying that our sidewalkers aren't skilled because they absolutely are but for you know to lose that sort of therapeutic eye mm-hmm. and give that maybe those subtle cues or that you know give them a little you know on the lower back just a little tap mm-hmm. that'll help them remember to sit up straight like mm-hmm. you can kind of coach your sidewalkers to be able to do those things for you in adaptive writing so that you mm-hmm. don't have to have that one-on-one right but the participant has to be ready for that right so that and one of the things that I used to do when I was doing more of the therapy services and, tra- and transitioning my people um, would be to ask the other therapists. Oftentimes, we've got two or three therapists working in, mm-hmm. in the arena with us. And I would say, uh, I need to practice with my participant today. So I'm going to stand in the middle. And would you guys all kind of do the same, like for exercises? Mm-hmm. Let's do warm-up exercises. So maybe their participants could do some of the warm-up exercises with their help or, or even without their help. But, mm-hmm. um, and then, and then gives, I would give some cues for my participant to do certain activities without me being right next to them and, and just see. And if it didn't work, then I knew it, we're, not, we're not ready to transition. Mm-hmm. But if they are, then, then that's a good way to, to have a an idea and to show the parents too that it's time that we start doing this. We can always move them back. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they really don't, if it doesn't work out, we can always move them back into therapy services. This episode is also sponsored in part by Wooden Horse Corporation and the Equisizer. The Equisizer is a handcrafted, non motorized mechanical horse used by equine assisted service programs worldwide. The Equisizer requires no electricity, tools, or maintenance and can be used indoors or out for evaluations, warm-ups, stretching, mounting, dismounting practice, and volunteer training, beer, and build confidence with students, clients, and volunteers. It can easily carry the weight of two adults, offering the unique option to ride tandemly. To learn more about the Equisizer, visit Equisizer.com. That's E-Q-U-I-C-I-Z-E-R.com. 
The other thing I think it's interesting about adaptive writing versus our therapy services is the types of goals that we're working on too. Mm -hmm. And at Hetra, just so our listeners know, obviously for therapy services, we have goals and we write therapy related goals, just like you would in a clinic or, you know, hospital setting, maybe a little less ADL based, maybe, you know, because we're not, we're not dressing while we're sitting on the horse, but we are working on very therapeutic skills. Mm -hmm. And then when they transition to adaptive writing, they're working on more of the writing skill. So even though they're still receiving some of that therapeutic benefit, like building core strength to, you know, sit up or maybe in adaptive writing, it's they're building lower body strength, but that looks like being able to hold two points. You know, Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. like that where the goal is more writing skill based. And I guess I don't know. Do all programs, do all adaptive writing programs do goal, set goals and do all that? Is that a requirement? You know, I don't really know if Mm -hmm. it's a requirement. Um, I believe most do some kind of documentation. Mm -hmm. We document every time a participant is seen. Mm -hmm. And, And we have goals. We have goals for all of our participants. And even if they're public riding, we have people that come and ride that don't have any disabilities and we write goals for them too. Mm -hmm. I believe they should. Mm -hmm. I I think that is, I I don't know how you progress somebody without having specific goals. Right. It's just like for us in our own personal lives. Right. (laughs) You know, how are you going to get to where you want to be if you don't have a roadmap? Mm -hmm. So yeah, writing goals is a really good way to see Obviously, if you're making progress mm-hmm. and staying on track towards, you know, what kind of endpoint you want to get to. Right. And I think at Hetra, it's especially interesting because we have levels in our adaptive writing program, right? One right. through five. So our participants, we can set goals to get them to the next level, if you will, where their skills continue to advance. Right. Um, can you tell me a little bit about our levels process or what kind of that looks like? Well, a, a while back, we... We decided that because we had so many questions about, well, when is a rider really ready to not have a horse leader clipped on? Or when is a rider ready to go from just having the reins clipped onto the halter to actually using a bridle? Mm -hmm. And, And those kinds of things came up. So we sat down and we said, okay, we might as well, instead of just addressing those issues, Let's talk about the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. So what what would be our beginner? What what are the beginner riders mm-hmm. uh, expected to do? And then and then each level builds on the next. And I believe I believe they it's level three before they are even thinking about using a bridle. Yeah, we I I have the um, level forms here and kind of in front of me, and it's it's really thorough and very structured. And I. My structured side of my brain appreciates that. Mm -hmm. Um, But like there's like 15 skills on here that for a level to be considered a level one student for adaptive writing, Mm -hmm. um, you have to be able to meet and that, you know, you don't have to meet all of them. But it says on here like there's some with asterisks. So those skills are mandatory, like corrects posture with minimal assist, follows appropriate safety rules, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Those Mm -hmm. things are mandatory. But then the rest is like. In order to move to the next level, you have to have at least 80% of these skills to even be thinking about, you know, level two type skills. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. And I think that helps guide us. Again, it circles all the way back to safety. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how are we 
keeping our participants safe and not giving them skills that are too adv- too far advanced for them before they're ready. Right, right. And also not keeping them at a level that where they're getting bored and they really could move on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not as common. <laughs> yeah. That's not as We're common. never bored around yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, the other thing I think that the levels help me with, too, is transitioning someone from therapy services. Mm-hmm. So if my participant that's in therapy services with me, I think, is ready for adaptive writing, I can pull up this level one form and say, oh, wow. Yeah, Johnny really is doing all these things. Mm-hmm. Maybe he would be interested in, you know, upping the challenge and working with peers and, you right. know, moving to the adaptive writing program. The other part of the levels is the cantering checklist, right? Everyone's always striving to get the, to get things checked off on their cantering checklist. So I think those are all good things that we do just to, just to maintain safety structure. Yes. And, and that cantering checklist is pretty hard. It is. I have it right here. Yes, it is. They, they really have to be able to control their horse. And, and, and that is, well, obviously for safety, but even though we have a big arena, for us, it's a big mm-hmm. arena. If they're riding in an adaptive class on one half of the arena and we have another class going on the other side mm-hmm. of the arena, we do have a barrier set up. But still, the person really needs to be able to control that horse mm-hmm. if, they're, if they're going that fast. And, of course, if they're cantering, they do not have a horse leader. Right. Yep. They are unhooked at the canter. That would be an interesting dynamic if they weren't. So it's important to have that control. Well, you could probably do it on a lunge line, but then you'd only have one person on in, in that side of the arena doing that. And that's true. And uh, sometimes we do do that. Yes. Hook people on the hook, our participants on the lunge line and do more isolated work that Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that's how I first learned how to canter. All right. Well, Catherine, is there anything else you'd like to touch on or let our listeners know? We're getting pretty close on time. Uh, Well, I think that uh, we've covered a lot of things today. I would suggest that they stay tuned for more podcasts Mm -hmm. in the future where we talk more about uh, what movements in the horse and how they affect the rider. Things like that um, are really what causes this to be a unique therapy and, and must be done by somebody that is, that's a therapist that's trained in using the horse. Mm -hmm. Because if you put a person, for instance, if you put somebody that is very sensory aversive on a horse that's got a lot of motion, Mm -hmm. they may not do well. Right. So for that person, you need a horse that's calm and very smooth. So we, you know, we do a lot of, a lot of discussion uh, with our horse manager in terms of trying to pick out the right horse for each person. So, and I'm sure we'll have, we'll have podcasts that go into more detail on those things yes. in the future. I'm really looking forward to um, diving a little bit deeper into that. Cause I know if you are a listener of our podcast, the last, you know, se- almost all of the podcasts we've done so far, we've mentioned something about, you know, the horse movement and how it impacts our rider, which duh, that's what we do. But I think there's so much more, to those little things, like you said, sensory mm-hmm. needs, postural strength needs. And that goes for both sides, therapy services and adaptive writing. I mean, we have to really be aware of that, especially for programs that might not have therapists in their program. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they only have instructors. Um, then how are we giving those folks tools to really choose, you know, appropriate matches? So mm-hmm. stay tuned, everybody, for more. 
Okay, so I always close my podcast with a specific question, and I didn't prep you for this. So you guys are getting the live answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can either tell me about if you've ever had a heart horse or a heart animal in Mm. your life, or um, if you have something, someone, or an animal that's like your kindred soul. You should have prepared me. Oh. Skippy. Mm-hmm. My first horse. Oh. was my hard horse. No, is that the one that Edie helped? Yes. Is that the one Edie helped you pick yes. out? Was What color was he? He was a sorrel. Mm-hmm. He was a 16-hand sorrel. A big horse. Oh, yes. All my horses were ten, at least 16 hands. If you guys don't know, Catherine is a small statured. Five feet. Yes. <laughs> so a big horse was extra big. I love big. <laughs> big horses. I love big horses. He was my first horse, and he was a fabulous therapy horse. Mm-hmm. He could. He fox hunted with us. Mm-hmm. He could fox hunt on Saturday, and he would be, he'd stand stock still Sunday to take care of a participant that couldn't handle Oh, much. my goodness. Yes. He was amazing. That's wonderful. How old was he when you got him? He was 10. He was 10 when you got him. He was he was what Edie called the, the perfect horse for me because mm-hmm. I needed a, a dead broke mm-hmm. horse that would just pack me around because mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. Had you ridden before you got Skippy? Oh, yeah. At, you know, carnivals and <laughs> pony rides. <laughs> on the, and, on and, the and, wheel. <laughs> you know, where you pay your $5 and get to ride around for an hour or mm-hmm. go on a trail ride in the mountains for whatever. Yeah. But no, I'd never had. I'd never had a horse that I could get on and actually mm-hmm. make him go where I wanted him to yeah. go and do it however I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was, it was, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal to buy my first horse. I love that. So, yeah. Tell me a little about, you did fox hunting. Yes. Right, with him. Oh, you've even got your fox hunting gear on today. Yeah. I love well, not that. all the gear. But well, yeah. <laughs> a cute little sweatshirt. It was a clean sweatshirt today. So. <laughs> Which, if you work in a horse barn or in a right. arena, you and I. I knew I wasn't going to be seeing any participants at Hetra, so I didn't need to wear a dirty sweatshirt. <laughs> They're usually clean, but not at the end of the week. Yeah, we take pride in our clean clothes. They come far and few between. Yes. But um, so you did fox hunting with him. And what does that look like? I'm not familiar with all the processes of that. Fox hunting? Yeah. Oh, it's it's really fun. It's very, um, there's a lot of pageantry involved. Mm-hmm. And in the United States, people fox hunt only to chase the foxes. There are not enough foxes to kill them. Nobody wants to kill the foxes. Right. But it's a lot of fun to go out with 40 hounds and a whole bunch of people and ride across the country and the hounds hunt by scent. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll pick up a scent mm-hmm. and follow a line. And then, of course, the whole the whole field follows after them and people are riding helter-skelter, yeah. jumping over fences and so it's and like, it's like, um, it's dangerous riding. It really yeah. is dangerous riding. It's like trail riding on steroids, yes. kind of. Yes. Interesting. Yes. So Skippy was- I didn't do much jumping. My, my husband actually stole my horse for fox hunting because Skippy would jump everything. And, and John was kind of one of those people that wanted the fast and dangerous. Liked and, that. <laughs> yes. So I got uh, one of my other horses that, that didn't like to jump fences and that was fine. Mm-hmm. We rode in the gate group a lot, but there you go. That's really fast riding because if the if the field is jumping into the next field and there's no gate by that by that coop, mm-hmm. then you have to go back out, go all the way around, and mm-hmm. really run, really run to catch up with the field. But that's okay. Interesting. So Skippy the Heart Horse was a good fox hunter, good yeah. adrenaline jumper, and then he was also the best therapy horse. He was a great therapy horse. That's wonderful. Yeah, he was a great therapy horse. 
Well, that warms my heart. All right. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for sitting with us and talking. And you will be back. So oh, I will. Stay tuned, will. everybody. Yes. You're really good at this. So well, it's much you. easier than um, anticipated. This is fun. This is <laughs> All fun. right. Thanks for listening, everyone. This podcast is presented by Hetra University, an educational arm of the Heartland Equine Therapeutic Writing Academy. Hetra University's mission is to provide high-quality educational offerings to our participants and the equine assisted services community. Craving more content like this? We invite you to check out our series of webinars and much, much more over at hetrauniversity.org. If you'd like to help us work toward our mission, you can make a donation by clicking on the link in the show notes below or visit us at hetra.org. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Again, my biggest thanks to you all for helping Hetra change lives one stride.